A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Harry. And on today's special New Statesman podcast, Boris Johnson is facing a vote of no confidence. How did we get here? So I'm standing in for Anoush while she takes a well-earned holiday. And first thing this morning, Graham Brady, the chair of the 1922 Committee of Backbench Tory MPs, announced that he'd received enough letters to finally call a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. This is taking place between 6 and 8pm. And before that, Boris Johnson will have the chance to address his MPs in a last ditch attempt to win their support. Later, I'll speak to our polling expert, Ben Walker. But first, our senior political correspondent, Harry Lambert, is with me. Harry, what's the mood like in Westminster? Hey, so I think let's just get a sense of the numbers here. You can look at past votes of no confidence to get a sense of what kind of number to think about tonight. And if you do so, then the numbers are 121 rebels would be similar to the vote of no confidence against Major in 95. 133 tonight would be similar to Theresa May's vote of no confidence in 2018. And 147 would be similar to Thatcher's in 1990. Now, something like 120 is, I think, probably where we're headed for. But I wouldn't be surprised if we got anywhere between 120 and 140. And if you think back to each of those votes of no confidence, Major did manage to survive until the next election, but his party was devastated in the 97 poll. And May had to go within or announce her resignation within six months and, and Thatcher within 48 hours. So I think anything in that range, and that's what people currently expect, spells real problems for Johnson. And just because he's not probably going to lose tonight doesn't mean that he's not toast in the short or medium run. Let's just zone back a bit and look at how we got here and where this uh, vote of no confidence is coming from. One of the the things that we keep hearing is that it's very uncoordinated. It's not like there's one leadership rival who's got all his team with him and have been whipping MPs to join him. Um, It's more kind of disparate wings of the Conservative Party who are uh, annoyed at Boris Johnson for all kinds of things, ranging from Brexit to his COVID response to party gates to failure to tackle the cost of living crisis to all of those things. Firstly, do you think that's a fair assessment? Is this as uncoordinated as everyone is saying? And secondly, if it is, does that help Boris Johnson or does it actually make it harder to fight? Yeah, that's definitely true. But I think that only hurts Boris. And I think, in fact, Rishi's downfall, many thought was uh, a terrible thing for the move to get rid of Boris. But I think, in fact, it's empowered a lot of people who think that they can be PM or who think, you know, their their preferred candidate can be. And the fact that this plot is leaderless makes it so hard to contain. 
Um, and the fact that Johnson has alienated different parts of every wing of this party makes it so hard to contain. There are rebels in Lib Dem facing seats, Labour facing seats, old MPs, new MPs at risk of losing their seat, MPs in shy constituencies. And I think there are just far too many people in the party now who see a better future for themselves under an alternative. And that's really what this has always come down to. We can talk about morality and party gate and everything else. At the end of the day, MPs get rid of someone because they think their future is going to, their personal future is going to be better. And it might be because they have a lot of integrity and they can't live with themselves unless they do something moral. But the point is that it's always a personal decision for MPs. And, and I just think well, Boris Johnson has managed to alienate over the last two, nearly three years, too many members of his party, too callously. He hasn't done enough work to keep on side various wings and he's lost them one by one. So last time, Harry, you and I were on a podcast together, you were making the point that uh, a, a number of Tory MPs had withdrawn their support in the Prime Minister through tweets or through statements or through comments in, in interviews, not through rousing dramatic speeches on the floor of the, the House of Commons. We have had some quite dramatic interventions recently, particularly a, a letter by Jesse Norman, who was a former financial secretary to the Treasury and puts down meticulously the case against Boris Johnson, sort of step by step, everything from the Northern Ireland Protocol to Partygate to sending refugees to, to Rwanda, all of that. We've also had uh, John Penrose, who was the government's ethics czar, withdraw his support because of he thinks that Boris Johnson broke the ministerial code and he doesn't seem to care about that. How much do you think those interventions and the way that they phrase them have had an impact? Or are we past that? I think Jesse's Norman statement would definitely have had an impact because he's a man of some standing in the party. But at the same time, both of those MPs, I've got a spreadsheet of every MP and what I think they're likely to do in the vote tonight. Both of those MPs I thought would probably vote against Johnson. So there haven't been too many surprises there and there haven't been many surprises in the 90 plus MPs that have come out in support of Johnson since the vote was announced. As I'm waiting for my speech on the floor of the House, Rachel, they continue to send in... (laughs) They continue to send in letters and building up their, their Twitter following. And some of us are, are depressed by this. But I think there's going to be plenty of action in the chamber in the next couple of days. And I think the other key point to make is just because Johnson doesn't lose tonight, some people think he will have a year's grace because under the current rules of the 1922, there can't be another vote. But in reality, that doesn't mean much at all. If a majority of MPs want to get rid of Boris Johnson, they'll change the rules. And once potentially 35 40% of MPs tonight say they want him out, then the forces arrayed against Johnson will be clearer than ever and more emboldened than ever. And it will be a real challenge to unwind that support. It's more likely to, that rebels will be added to that count at the time and that they'll stop rebelling. Just some, just some phrases from Jesse Norman's uh, letter. He talks about a culture of casual law-breaking. He calls the Rwanda policy ugly, privatising Channel 4, unnecessary, the ban on, on noisy protest, unconservative talks about empty rhetoric, essentially says that Boris Johnson's leadership has been catastrophic for the country. Definitely the kind of thing that I think would have made a very good speech. Exactly. I know. Can uh, you imagine? That have been, and, and then there have been clips on the news and everything. If only they knew that people were recorded giving speeches. It is strange. And I don't know why it continues this way. It's also powerful, that letter, because it doesn't mention, it barely mentions Partygate, as someone pointed out. It's really a criticism of Johnson as a conservative, which I think is all the more devastating. And as a person. Right. So Boris Johnson 
has the opportunity before the vote to to make his case. There's a memo going round Conservative MPs, which is written in a very unhelpful font, I think. It's not a very well-formatted <laughs> document at all. It's got bold bits and underlining everywhere. My year six teacher would have had a field day with that. But what do That's you think? That's a reason to vote against them. <laughs> Uh, Boris Johnson is, it has been quite good in these kind of crisis moments of convincing those who are a bit sceptical of, of him. What do you think is his chances are to undo some of the damage before the vote? I think they're very low. I think people by this point have really decided by and large. And I think the floor of MPs who are going to vote against him is high. It's too high for number 10. They, they hope to keep it under 100. I'd be amazed if it's under 100. I think it will be more like 120, as I say. And I think uh, that's the real problem here. You've only got about 100 MPs backing him at the moment. I think there's, a, as I say, 100 against. And then, and then the great block in the middle, they're not all going to go for Johnson. Let's see how it plays out. But I, I would not be confident if I was another 10 about my long-term survival, certainly. To just take us through it. What might happen were Boris Johnson to, to win, but not win by a high enough margin that he can say he's survived this and, and got a new mandate for, for power? What do you think we might see in the next couple of months? Uh, complete chaos. There's no other way of putting it. You, you can't predict that, but it, the, the situation will be untenable for all. And if you're a Tory MP and you want to move on, as people who are supporting Boris keep saying, you won't be able to move on, guys, if 40% of the party doesn't want to serve under the prime minister. So your whole rationale for getting on with focusing on the people's priorities is somewhat going to collapse. I think that's the reality. And if you're, if, if, I'm sure it's not the case, but if your numbers are, are, are wrong and he does in fact lose any predictions for the Tory leadership contest that we're going to see play out? Well, that would be fascinating if he did lose. Look, I think that's possible. I, I wouldn't be, I'd say it's sort of 15% likelihood. So if it happened, I wouldn't be floored, but it would be surprising. The contest, I think, is so wide open, especially Tory leadership contests. They, they rarely go according to early predictions. I hate to be boring, but I struggle to imagine anyone as Prime Minister in 2025. Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer, any of these Tories... But someone's going to have to be. So let's see who it ends up being. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From The New Statesman comes a new podcast. Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said, on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover. Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election. And Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Marwa screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And now let's talk about the numbers with the New Statesman's data expert, Ben Walker. Ben, how do the public feel about Boris Johnson right now? Ooh, not good. It's not particularly great. Think about Boris Johnson, though. It's the interesting thing about him is that he started his premiership not well. Okay, you know, let's rewind back to the Brexit wars in 2019. Okay, he succeeded Theresa May as prime minister, and he came in with more people disliking him than liking him. Okay, that he's always been very much a pretty unpopular figure. It depended where you live, though. If you were obviously a Leave voter, you were more enamoured with him, and Leave voters were more uh, represented in in marginal seats, so it did help him in the election. But generally speaking, Johnson has been a pretty unpopular figure. Nonetheless, let's chart this. He bounced. He surged during 2020 in the early months of COVID, really did well, had perceived at least to have handled the coronavirus crisis. Then he collapsed alongside Dominic Cummings over Barnard Castle Gate. Was it a gate then? I'm not sure if it was, to be fair. It was definitely Uh, a gate. Yeah, yeah. And and then he bounced back with the vaccine, with the Brexit deal. But really now, started off with Owen Patterson in North Shropshire. He fell. Then Partygate, he collapsed. He dropped to the floor. And he was, for a good few months, and even to a lesser extent now, he's polling basically rock bottom, so the, the, the figures we normally see for a prime minister. The figures he's at now, the numbers he's polling now, are ca- the kind of numbers no prime minister has ever really recovered from. Okay, David Cameron once touched numbers like these, but they were short lived. They only lasted a few weeks and then he came back up. Boris Johnson has been in this position for quite a while. The, the, it was started with Partygate. Well, well really, it, he drifted down last year, but it really collapsed under Partygate and he has yet to recover from it, despite Ukraine, despite the quite late response to the uh, cost of living crisis. He really has not seen any recovery. The public, it seems, have made their mind upon our prime minister. See, that's really interesting because the narrative around Boris Johnson, the mythology around him, if you like, is that widely popular and uniquely among Conservative MPs able to reach parts of the electorate that other Tories can't reach. And that's why he's such an asset. He, he wins them elections. He won them London twice as, as, as London mayor. He won them the Red Wall, seats that had been Labour for, for decades, possibly since that inception and that's why the party uh, stuck with him and and, and got behind him was because he was able to do this incredible reach out and, and be popular among all these demographics that don't usually vote conservative you're suggesting that that has never been the case, perhaps. And if it ever were, was the case, it's not the case now. Do, do you think that maybe some of the ways we've been talking about the Red Wall since December 2019 might not be entirely accurate? Yeah, I hate the term the Red Wall. I also hate the term the Blue Wall. I, I think it's a complete, very much a broad brushstroke colouring of this country that, that doesn't help us understand it at all but we're going to use it anyway, okay? In the so-called red wall, in these predominantly leave voting, more deprived than average seats, the thing is, Johnson did 
for a little while have a sort of net positive advantage in those types of seats, right? Okay, in the 2019 election and at the start of 2020, voters who were conservative voters said to pollsters, in these seats, in these northern constituencies, they were saying, I'm not voting for the Conservative Party, I'm voting for the Boris Johnson Party. We had some, I think it was actually exclusive polling for the New Statesman, which sort of uh, uh, confirmed this. I can't actually remember where it is. I've been talking about it so many times, I just forget the source now. But it's there. If we can put a link somewhere, we should. But really, long time ago, for a short while, these types of voters were going to the Conservatives because it was the Boris Johnson party, not the Conservative party. So yes, he did have a net pull, but it was small. It was key. It was key in, in a great number of seats, but it wasn't as big as we like to think. Just remember, Johnson started his premiership more disliked than liked. And he is finishing, well, let's, if he is finishing his premiership, he'll be finishing it more disliked than liked. The, the thing with him, he's always been unpopular across the country. In our democracy, in first past the post, not all votes are equal. What, we, what, what is key is what voters think in the marginals that matter, so-called marginals that matter. To, to reiterate, 2019, he had a net advantage in those marginals. Now, not at all. He is far and away bottomed out. In these marginals, Starmer is very much ahead of Johnson in these marginals, even though Starmer's not doing well himself. He really has crashed and burned this prime minister. And can we make any assessment about how much of that is due to Partygate, seven months of scandal, the Sue Gray report, the Met fines, the possibility that the Prime Minister broke the ministerial code? We keep hearing from Boris Johnson allies that it's a Westminster bubble story. It hasn't got cut through. No one cares about it. He's apologised. He's moved on. The voters don't are far more interested in, in other things like the cost of living crisis. How much of that is true and how much do we think uh, the Partygate scandal has actually damaged Yeah, Yeah, a lot of what you say, to be honest, is actually quite true. It is true that voters for, I would say, past two, three months have been more focused on the cost of living than they have party gate. In December through to January, February, public attention on disaffection with the way politics is governed, the way politics is, party gate. Yeah, that came top. That shaped the mood music of how voters were expressing their voting intention. Then the cost of living came along. Then the fuel bill rises. Then all that and the poor, poorly, poor handling of it in the spring statement by Rishi Sunak. That really hit Tory perceptions hard and didn't allow any real recovery in Tory fortunes. During, you know, in the in the opening stages of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Johnson's ratings saw a, a slight rise. And then Sunak Singh's spring statement really brought them crashing again. It's I don't want to say it's a bubble issue because the public have cared about it. It has shaped Johnson's image, perhaps in, in, in an irreparable way. But at the same time, right now, we're in June. The public are more focused on the cost of living, absolutely. It's not either or. It's not binary. There's a little bit of nuance <laughs> here, which is that the country is very annoyed with our Prime Minister for Partygate. It's very annoyed with these double standards, the corruption, the rest of it. But they do want focus on the cost of living. They do want focus on fuel bills and heating. Now... Forgive me, because I'm going to use some terms that you've just said that you hate, but we do have two by elections mm-hmm. coming up uh, on the 23rd of June, the six-year anniversary of the EU referendum, uh, which I'm sure everyone is celebrating. We celebrate it every year with cake. Mm-hmm. On the, the, those by elections, one of them is a traditional red wall seat, has always been held by Labour uh, and was won by Boris Johnson's Conservatives in the last election. The other one, Tiverton and Honiton, classic blue wall in De- Devon in the countryside, very much a Tory heartland seat. 
How is it looking in, in both of those? And what does that tell us about the Conservatives' chances nationwide as a whole? Mm, yeah, Wakefield, West Yorkshire. Is it West? Yes, it's West Yorkshire. It is, uh, was won by the Conservatives for the first time since in 2019 from Labour. Our own modelling, Britain Predicts, available on the New Statesman website, is uh, forecasting a Labour gain, quite a significant Labour gain. And we had a poll by Jail Partners, which showed Labour, for once, ahead by 20 percentage points over the Conservatives. Which is really high, right? That is a landslide. Oh, it's a big swing. It's more than the national polls are predicting. It is quite significant. I would say, though, basically what we're seeing in in Wakefield is the Tory base is just has no confidence to come out to vote. A lot of them are saying to the pollster, we're staying home. We're not going to do anything. Don't know how long, how it will stay that way as the campaign intensifies. But I think it's safe to say that if Wakefield is anything other than a Labour gain, it will be a huge shock. It has to be a Labour gain. It's a Labour. It will be a Labour gain based on the national polls. It's a Labour gain based on the, the by-election survey we've just had. If Labour fail, Labour's doing something incredibly wrong. On Tiverton Honiton, I do have to apologise. I have to correct you. It's not so-called Blue Wall because yeah, you know, it's traditionally Tory, absolutely. But what when we think of Blue Wall, what are we thinking? Are we thinking graduate-heavy Remain voting areas? Because that, that's not what Tiverton and Honiton is. Tiverton and Honiton voted leave. It doesn't have that many graduates. has its fair share of deprivation, rural deprivation, that often we don't really cover. And yet the Lib Dems are gunning for it big time. If they were able to win in North Shropshire, which was more deprived than Tiverton, if they were winning in North Shropshire, which has, I think, a less of a Remain vote than Tiverton, they can most certainly perhaps win here in Tiverton. Tiverton and Honiton has a history for voting in candidates in local elections that are not Tory. They have a history for voting in li- local independents, local Liberal Democrats. And if you're able to do that in a local election, you most certainly can do it in a parliamentary by-election. You know, the, the mood music in the seat is absolutely there. The nearest major settlement is Exeter. It's got OK transport links. What is it for you guys? Three hours by train and 20 minutes by bus, I think it is. You, 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 it, 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 it's definitely one that can, yeah. Definitely go Liberal Democrat. We don't have any data to prove it, though. If North Shropshire can go Liberal Democrat, Tiverton Harton definitely can. I will apologise for calling it Blue Wall. I think. <laughs> when I Do use the term Blue Wall, I mean traditionally Tory, which I, I guess just proves your point that they're not particularly useful terms. But point taken, not enough graduates. <laughs> Sorry. One of the things that, that the unites both of these is that the reason we're having by-elections in both of them is that their MPs were forced to resign over so-called Pestminster scandals, one of them over child sexual abuse allegations, and one of them over Neil Parrish accidentally watching porn of tractors in the House of Commons or something to that effect. Do we have any indication that is, is an impact or is that sort of yesterday's scandal and uh, it's we've we, we moved on to parties in the cost of living? So there's a way you can, like I said, we only have one poll and that's of Wakefield to repeat JL partners. And to tell you the truth, when you do see that 20 point leap for Labour, you do have to wonder how much of that is of collapse in confidence amongst Tory voters because of Boris Johnson or how much is that a collapse in confidence among Tory voters because of the resigning MP? We don't know. We don't know. If you speak to activists on the ground, there is very much a disgust in Wakefield about the resigning MP. They're very much like, we're not having him in again. We're not getting those types in again. We want to we want to move on with an alternative. And that alternative, obviously, is a different party. There's a lot of conservative voters who do think they might consider the Yorkshire party, which is a, um, it's not as nationalist as it sounds, or rather regionalist as it sounds. <laughs> it's, it's very much all about devolution. And it's uh, quite centrist, I would say, at least, uh, in my view, at least. I'm from Yorkshire, I have 
have to say that, I suppose, with you. The Tory voters probably will want to send a message and they'll either do that by staying at home, going Labour, which is quite a significant shift going from Conservative to Labour does happen in elections. But when it happens and and is persistent, something big is happening. But I think Tory voters, if they're looking to protest, they won't necessarily go to Labour. They'll either stay at home or they'll go to the Yorkshire Party. We probably will see that. In answer to your very long-winded answer to your question, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. We don't have much of the data. Yeah, the anecdotes on the ground suggest it's there, but people are more focused on Boris Johnson. People are more focused on the cost of living. People are more focused on protesting, really. Let's just finish by taking it back to today and and, and, and the big event. Any predictions either for how the vote is going to go tonight and if, if Prime Minister were to lose, who's your money on for the next leader of the Tories? Oh, gosh. Oh, no, I'm going to ruin my reputation here, to be honest with you. I was having a chat with uh, our producer, Adrian, uh, about this before, and, I, and I'm a bit cynical. I'm a bit sceptical as to whether uh, Johnson will lose this vote. My, my, my gut, really, it's... It, People, are, I, I know it's a private ballot, ballot, I know it's a secret ballot, but I do sort of think that if you're on the payroll, you probably will stick with Johnson, even though it's a secret ballot, I think. And I'm always cynical. If you weren't willing to get rid of May, Theresa May in 2019, would you, uh, when, at a time when we had the Brexit wars, would you be doing the same for Johnson? There's a lot of an argument out there amongst some Tory MPs who are adamant Johnson can win the next election because there's no alternative. It is an argument. It is a debate. I personally think that that really Johnson's reputation is not recoverable at present and that those who argue otherwise aren't arguing from a good basis. But I don't know. I'm, I'm cynical. I think Johnson will scrape through, but narrowly, and his confidence will be in the party and across the country will be severely damaged as a consequence. We will have to wait and see. And when we know the result, we'll be back with you. And I'm sure Ben will be back with you as well to talk us through all the numbers then. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Cunliffe, our senior political correspondent, Harry Lambert, and our data expert, Ben Walker. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget to tell a friend and leave a nice review. Our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons, and our producer is Adrian Bradley. Thank you for listening. Trust in politics is broken, so can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.